University of Berkeley where he studied engineering, uh, which is a great, uh, a great field for strategic thinking. Uh, he uh, was called into the ministry. He was a pastor and then became a missionary in both the Philippines and Cambodia. Um, and uh, he pursued his doctorate at Fuller Seminary uh, where he, uh, he uh, New Testament studies. Uh, probably uh, he's most known to be the husband of Ida <laughs> and the father of uh, three of his children, uh, Kaylin, Christian, and Katie. Uh, uh, we had him uh, speak to us in the uh, Soul Food Hour in between services, and one of the profound things that, uh, that he said was that 50, about 50% 50 of the world uh, have never heard about the first coming of Jesus. Uh, which is a very sobering thing when you think about uh, our freedom and how we've, uh, most of us have heard about Jesus from uh, a long time. So we are so grateful for his presence and, uh, and welcome to the pulpit, Dr. Kim. Good morning. Um, it's an honor to be here with you, to open up God's word with you this wonderful, beautiful Sunday. Um, if you do have a Bible, I invite you to turn to our text today from 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll be re reading verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is God's word. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Pray with me, if you will. Father, lead us now by your spirit to reflect upon these words. Speak to us, Lord, and help me by the same spirit uh, to declare uh, your message for us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I was talking with a family friend um, who had a daughter, um, and his daughter was, I think, probably in the fifth grade at the time. And she was sharing that in her public school in Illinois, they are not allowed to pray. In fact, when one of her classmates prayed in the cafeteria at lunch, a teacher saw her and told her, don't ever do that again or I'll send you to detention. In fact, when they say the Pledge of Allegiance at that school, they're not allowed to say the word God. In fact, when that comes up, they're supposed to say beep as if God's name were a curse word. So what happens when it's no longer safe to be associated with Jesus Christ? What happens when the name of God becomes a curse word? We who live in this context, well, we need to make some choices. Choices perhaps a generation before never had to make. Here's the thing, I think most of us are completely unprepared to live in a context when Christianity um, is something to be ridiculed and where people are hostile towards. 
but this is what many of the people who live outside of the United States deal with every day. And this is certainly what our children do face and probably will face in the future. The Apostle Peter was speaking to Christians who were living in a very anti-Christian context, a very hostile context towards, uh, towards Jesus. And so as you can imagine, they were an easy target for blame, an easy target for insult, an e easy target for discrimination and hostility. And what I think we need to recognize is the kind of effect that this kind of social hostility has on a person. When you are a minority living in a majority context, you tend to respond in one of two ways. The first is you try to be like everyone else. You try to fit in. You try to uh, remove any sense of being different from others. Um, the second is oftentimes you respond to the hostility that you feel with, with hostility. Uh, you walk around with a chip on your shoulder, so to speak. Now, I don't think we, could, we should underestimate um, the, the social pressure that we feel, that we often feel when we are reminded every day that we're different from everybody else. Um, I served in Cambodia uh, with my family for a time, and there we had a um, Caucasian missionary uh, woman on our team, single uh, white uh, woman, and she was really struggling when she got there. Um, she would explain to me that every day she'd walk out of her house and the kids would just see her and start yelling at her, hello, hello. And um, when she tried to speak Khmer, they would giggle and laugh. They thought it was, was such a funny thing. And, and um, she wanted so much to be accepted by them. But every day she felt this overwhelming sense that she was different. And she said to me, Lloyd, um, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through. You see, you're an Asian. It's not the same for you. Uh, you don't know what it feels like to always feel different. <laughs> I kind of smiled at her at the irony of this conversation. I said, well, actually, I kind of do know what it feels uh, to be different. I grew up in America, you remember, and uh, I'm Asian. Well, anyway, uh, so what happens when we really want to be accepted by the majority? Or perhaps we, we just want to avoid... Um, insult or ridicule? Well, we begin to forget who we are. We begin to adopt the norms and the values and the standards of the majority. Now, it's one thing to, to be accepted as a missionary in a host culture. It's quite something else to try and be accepted by the world as a believer. Sometimes things get blurred. Values get blurred. Norms, ethics get blurred. Living in a context when you are a Christian minority can be very challenging. And the temptation to be like everyone else is great for no other reason, just to avoid <laughs> the embarrassment and shame that sometimes you feel. And so I don't think we can underestimate the social pressure we feel to keep silent about our identity as Christians, to keep silent about the good news. <laughs> keep silent about matters of eternal consequence. So how does Peter address this? Well, he reminds us of who we are as God's people. He says, uh, you are a chosen race. 
You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. You see what he's doing here? Where do these words come from? Well, they come from the Old Testament. They come from a time when God was speaking to his people while they were in the, do you remember? In the wilderness. You see, the wilderness is a very dangerous place for God's people. It was in the wilderness that they were tested. It was in the wilderness that they chased after idols. It was in the wilderness that they grumbled and complained and forgot who they they were. Do you feel like you're in the wilderness? Do you feel like you're in exile? You see, that's what Peter calls the people who he's writing to, the recipients, the elect exiles of the dispersion. Peter speaks to us who just, well, quite frankly, want to fit in, who want to be safe, who don't want to rock the boat. And he says, remember who you are. You belong to God. And you see, when he does this, it's not just an individual thing, but it's a community thing. He's speaking to a community of people. And he wants us all to recognize that we belong to a new family. And we have been chosen to be a part of something that is wonderful. This idea of being chosen from the world, set apart, that is to bring this incredible sense of privilege, honor, status, and responsibility. It was when I was about 10 years old that um, all the fourth grade soap operas began. Somehow in fourth grade, uh, girls started liking boys and boys started liking girls and, and that became the big topic of discussion at recess. Uh, one eventful day, the most popular girl in fourth grade was deliberating between these two boys, Danny or Kevin. And of course, when you have two boys and one girl, you expect to see a fight, right? Yeah, that's why I was there. I mean, the whole crowd was gathered around wondering what, what would happen. And, but these boys, you know, in fourth grade, uh, I give them credit. They're pretty smart. They kind of looked, well, they did. They looked at the girl and they said, just choose, just pick, a, pick one of us. You know, so no fight. And uh, I was disappointed, so I kind of slopped off into the shade, sat on a bench. Um, but, you know, there was this, dr- this high drama. Who would she pick? Would she pick Danny? Would she pick Kevin? Would she pick Danny? Kevin? Uh, she turned around and looked at me and said, I choose Lloyd. He's going to be my boyfriend. <laughs> I thought it was a joke, but then she came over and grabbed my arm, and the two boys walked off. And uh, the crowd hummed at this dramatic turn of events. So how does it feel to be chosen? It feels great. (laughs) My stock went up that day. God tells us that he chose us as unlikely candidates as we are. He chose us. And now we belong to him. You see? He accepts us. And he gives us value. And he gives us significance. And he gives us honor. And he gives us satisfaction. Reminding ourselves of who we are helps us to cope 
with the pressures of accommodating to the world to gain these same things, honor, respect those things that we chase for. It helps us cope with doing those things that perhaps we did before without conscience, as Peter says. It's our identity as God's precious, beloved people that should give us both boldness and confidence to withstand the pressures of accommodating to this world, but also to be bold ambassadors of Jesus in a hostile environment. But of course there is the other responses, or not? The response of being a minority in a majority culture oftentimes is hostility. Instead of trying to be accepted by the majority, we see the world as our enemy, and we use the same ethics that the world uses against us back to them. But you see, when we live like this, the distinction between those who oppress and those who are oppressed becomes blurred. When the response to hatred and slander is hatred and slander, you see, there really is no difference between us and them. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter tells us, to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles, not only when they are speaking well of us, but when they speak against us as evildoers. But I'll be honest with you, it's, it's so hard, is it not? It's easy to justify our hatred and our slander to those who treat us unfairly. Now, in general, I'd say uh, I don't get angry very easily, but one thing that almost always gets my blood boiling is when someone takes advantage of me, someone rips me off. We were in Cambodia just a few months, and I was getting my uh, old uh, Toyota Sienna washed, um, and I brought it to a place, and I was, I was really impressed because they were doing a, a fabulous job. They even opened the hood and were washing uh, parts of the engine. When they finally finished, they, a worker called me over and he said, um, just wanted to point this out to you, uh, a cap is, is missing here on the engine, um, but don't worry, I have one uh, that will fit it perfectly. And I thought, huh, that's strange. I, I don't ever remember missing a cap before, but sure, you know, show me the cap. And so he goes off somewhere and he comes back and there, there's the exact cap that fit my engine. And I thought, this is a miracle until I realized <laughs> that it wasn't a miracle. He took the cap off, right? Uh, it was a scan. There was only one of three of these cars in the whole country. Um, and so then, you know, you just start getting more upset. And so I, I called the owner over, and um, I'm ashamed to say it, but all sorts of thoughts of revenge rushed through my mind, what I could do, um, tell people never to come here, broadcast it on the internet, get this guy fired, and it's amazing how quickly we forget who we, who we are. To those of us who are hostile to the world, angry, perhaps bitter at those who oppress, deceive, ridicule us, Peter also reminds us of who we are. What does he say? You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, he wants us to know that our identity as God's people should be reflected in how we respond to those who slander us. 
who hate us, who oppress us, who treat us unfairly. In essence, he's calling us to respond in grace. How is it possible to respond to a hostile world with grace? Well, it's only possible when we recognize how much grace that we've received. We were those once living in darkness. We were those who were once not God's people. Think about Peter's own life and experience. Remember, he was the disciple that said, if all others abandon you, surely I will not. I'm even willing to go and die with you, Jesus. But in the courtyard of the high priest, what happened? In the courtyard of the high priest, he was afraid to be associated with his Lord. And he denied knowing his Savior. And I love how the Gospel of Luke describes the scene. After the cock crows, Jesus hears it and his face turns towards Peter. And Peter looks towards Jesus and you can imagine their eyes locking and Peter remembering what Jesus said. And all the shame and all the guilt rush into his heart and he breaks down and he weeps and he cannot stand being in the presence of his Savior and he runs away. But you see, Jesus doesn't leave him in his guilt and shame, does he? He pursues Peter. He meets Peter after he is raised. He forgives Peter. He enlists Peter to be a part of this kingdom building work, to call him to be an under-shepherd. Peter knows what it means to receive grace, and he's calling us to bathe ourselves in this same grace. He tells us, you were once not God's people, but now you have been made God's people. Those who were once living in darkness now call to his glorious light. Those who did not receive mercy, but now we have received mercy. And so we are to see our lives in Peter's life. Those who understand how much grace they've received are able to give grace. Those who have been forgiven much are able to forgive others. When we understand who we are, then we begin to live out the purpose for which we have been called. Peter says that this new identity that we have in Christ is for the purpose of declaring the excellencies of he who has called us from darkness into his glorious light. And so the reason why God chose us, the reason why he redeemed us, the reason why he saved us is so that we might declare to the world how great he is. We exist to give glory and honor to him. Now, I know we've heard this before again, but it is so abundantly clear here in this text that we do not exist to please other men and women. We do not exist to please our parents. We don't exist to please even ourselves, but we exist for his pleasure, for his glory, and ironically, it is when we live for his pleasure 
and we live for his glory that we are the most satisfied and content. It was mentioned earlier that um, at university I studied engineering. And it was actually during those years that God took a hold of my life in such an amazing and radical way. Uh, and as I was growing, I kept asking the question, Lord, um, what are you calling me to do? Shall I pursue this life uh, of engineering, or is there something else that you are calling me to? A friend of mine and I would actually go down to the metro station, the BART, in San Francisco, and I would bring my guitar and um, just stand there uh, in front of all the people and start playing it. My friend would sing, and it would have been fine if we could actually hold a tune. <laughs> Um, some people actually gave us money, and I wasn't sure if it was because they were blessed or they wanted us to stop. Um, and the truth is, it was hard. And not a single person came to faith that day as we went up and down the train station telling people about our Savior. But I can't express how much joy I had and this thrill, this exhilaration that God was smiling down upon us as we were telling people how amazing and great our God was. You know, the point of this is, it's not that being an engineer is any less godly or any less spiritual, but simply that when we were, when we realize what we were created to do, we experience this incredible sense of satisfaction and joy. And here Peter is telling us that we were redeemed that we were saved, that we were chosen in order to declare the excellencies of God. And when we do this, we will find satisfaction and joy and purpose in life. Maybe you're asking, what does this mean practically? It simply means sharing our story, our story, to others. Telling others of how great God is as our story connects with his greater story telling others about the good news of the kingdom. And when we define our purpose in life as declaring the excellencies of him who has called us from darkness into his marvelous light, then we are freed to begin praying about going to those places where there is only darkness, and where Christ's light has not yet shone. We are freed to plan, to dream, to embark on adventures that we would never dream possible or to support those and encourage those and pray for those who are called. How about you today? Is God calling you to declare his excellencies to a people who have not had the chance to hear of how glorious our God is? Is he calling you to send those who have this calling. What happens when it is no longer safe to be associated with God's people? It is no longer safe to be associated with Jesus. Well, his people, people gather together and we remind ourselves of who we are. And we worship. 
And it's our identity as a people of God that should give us both boldness and confidence to live in a hostile world as well as humility and brokenness, recognizing we have been saved by his amazing grace. Peter says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And he is calling us to be reminded of our identity so that we might declare the excellencies of him to those still living in darkness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for your grace. Help us, Father, to dwell deeply upon this grace and mercy that we might speak your praise and honor and glory here, here in this uh, community and beyond to the ends of the earth. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, Dr.